are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. What a thrill to be here this morning, Crossroads. I hope you're as excited as I am as we continue in our Vision and Values series. 2022 is going to be an amazing year. You've probably heard the classic observation. What's everyone's favorite radio station? W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me, right? I mean, we're consumers. We're those that want to experience all kinds of blessings. Did you know that the opening of the book of Job starts similarly? Satan actually asks, will Job serve God if he gets nothing out of it? Now, I've actually asked myself that question a number of times. Will I serve God if I don't experience some of the blessings that I'm counting on in this life? What if I don't feel a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction? What if things don't go the way I desire? Will I still serve God if I don't experience what I desire? If it almost seems like nothing goes my way. Have you ever asked that question? My guess is you have. And if you haven't asked it out loud, you've at least thought about it. Now let's pose that question for us as the Crossroads family. Will we serve God if we get nothing out of it from our human perspective? In other words, what if Crossroads decreases in number instead of grows in number? What if there's division and disunity and even conflict in the midst of our church? What if King County becomes very frustrated and even angry with some of the views that we hold? Will we as a church serve God if it seems next to nothing goes our way? Will we live out our vision and values? Will we stay true to the Lord no matter what comes? That's the question that 2 Chronicles chapter 34 answers for us. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Now you've probably not heard very many sermons out of 2 Chronicles. Like 2 Kings that we looked at last week, it's a third of the way into the Old Testament. In this case, you're going to bypass the books of Samuel, the books of Kings, and you'll want 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Now, the book of 2 Chronicles was written in 500 B.C., but the events that the chronicler is writing about take place 500 years prior to that. The context or the setting is a time When Israel is returning from exile, they're coming back to their land. The problem is, there's opposition. There's all kinds of challenges. There's a lot of discouragement. And Israel is going back to God's promises. God, you promised us this. 
You promised us that, and it seems like none of your promises are coming true. They began to doubt God. And they began to wonder, is God going to come through? Is God going to walk with us through this difficult season in our history? What God then does is, to these discouraged, demoralized people is, he goes back into their history some 500 plus years, and he drops a theological truth bomb. He says, do you remember... And he walks them back. And he tries to explain some truth about himself and how truth about God in history can impact us in the present. It's because we tend to have short-term memory that we think God's faithfulness in the past will not carry into the present or into the future. So the chronicler is actually going to give Israel hope And he gives us hope, too, because he reminds us that history is his story, that God is all about history, and he's trying to communicate to you and me how he comes through in the clutch for his people. Now, 2 Chronicles is considered by some the most underrated book in the entire Bible. There's something for you to understand and for each of us to be reminded of, because when we come to Second Chronicles, we tend to think, oh, yawn, boring. I mean, let me get through this as quickly as I can in my Bible read through. There's nothing in this book for me living in the 21st century. Well, what if I told you that this book is all about God restoring the temple? And there is so much prophecy, worship, and prayer in this book that some have called it the Acts of the Old Testament. In other words, the book of Acts, which chronicles church history, one of the most dynamic books in the New Testament, some would say that the book of Second Chronicles is the book of Acts in the Old Testament. It tells us how God's people went through opposition and hardship and all kinds of persecution and trial. And it reminds us that through God's Word, through worship, through prayer, through coming together in corporate worship, in their case in the temple, it brings about transformation. It makes a difference. It did thousands of years ago, it makes a difference today, and however long the Lord Jesus delays his coming so that more people can believe in him, it's valid until that time and beyond as well. We're going to have a great time in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And this book is what's called messianic. By messianic we mean it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are kings in this book that fail and succeed, typically for a very short season. And they are pointing to the Lord Jesus. So we're going to look at King Josiah, and we're going to see a snapshot of his life, and really what he is most known for. But yet, as we focus on King Josiah, 
We're not going to be saying, be like King Josiah. No, be like Jesus. Josiah is pointing to Jesus. So please understand that as we begin 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Now notice how we begin in verse 1. We begin on a surprising note. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Did you hear that? How old was he? He was eight years old. God loves to use children. He uses children for his sovereign purposes. No one is too young to be used by God. I'm so thankful for our kids' ministry at Crossroads, for Renee and her team, and for all that they're doing to help get children prepared to be able to serve the Lord. Let us not look down on children. Let us never question the impact of our parenting, of our grandparenting, and of our ministry through kids' ministry at CBC. Now, verse 2 is even better. Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So he did right in the sight of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says that God looks for a man or a woman whose heart is completely his, who is seeking the Lord. He looks to and fro for such a woman or such a man so that he might fully commit himself to that person. Josiah is such a man. He walks in the ways of his father, David. That's phenomenal. Now, David had many failures, but David was a faithful king overall, and he was doing what? He was pointing to the Messiah, the son of David, the Lord Jesus. Josiah was faithful in his commitments as king. And notice, he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In other words, he was focused. He spent his entire life fixated on God and not being distracted by all the things that other kings were distracted by and that you and I can be distracted by. This really simply states that Josiah was faithful and not only was he faithful, he finished his life well. The book of 2 Kings tells us that there had never been a king before Josiah and there would never be a king after Josiah who would be anything like him. He was a one of a kind. Now let's stop right there. Josiah came into a family that was what we would call a dysfunctional family. Manasseh his grandfather ruled with nothing but wickedness for 55 years. And Judah tanked. They were absolutely weakened by Manasseh. So much so that the Assyrians took Judah into captivity and completely broke the nation. And it was only at that time that Manasseh confessed his sin 
and returned to the Lord. The Lord, by His grace, received His confession. There was a brief reform in Judah, but because of over five decades of evil, it could not be ultimately overturned. It was short-lived. Then Manasseh's son, Ammon, who was Josiah's father, came in to rule and reign. He didn't do well. He lasted two years and was assassinated. That's Josiah's pedigree. Now, on top of this, keep in mind that he was able to live his life with no indication of any mentor, of any spiritual guide. We don't know how Josiah became the man that he became. Do you know what this tells us? Regardless of your family of origin, regardless of your personal background, regardless of how you have been neglected, rejected, or abused, God can do incredible things in and through you. Some of the people that I know who have had the greatest impact for Jesus Christ, they have the very worst of backgrounds. And while I grieve for them and I grieve for you, my heart breaks for you if you have a terrible family of origin and if you've gone through terrible things, the Lord is able to grant you his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. And he can restore you. He can renew you. Personal revival can begin in you. And you can make a difference in your world. Here's good news for parents. If you're like me and there are times where you feel like you're a failure as a parent, and if you could have your parenting all over again, you would do things differently. Despite your failures, despite the sting that you're feeling right now, despite the sorrow and the loss, God is greater than our parenting. No matter how we've sinned, no matter how we have epically failed with our kids or our grandkids, God is able to go above and beyond anything that we have done in the past or even are doing in the present. Because here's what we need to be reminded of. Here's what I need to be reminded of. God loves our kids more than we do. God is more concerned about our kids and our grandkids than we are. And God is more than able to lead, to guide, to transform our children and grandchildren and those children who are a part of our kids' ministry at CBC. That's the good news. Now, I would also ask the question, how is it that Josiah was able to become this mighty man of God when, as we will discover, the Word of God was not present during this time in history? I think it stems from one of our core values, passionate prayer. I believe that Josiah became the man of God that he was and is today because he was committed to prayer. He did not have the scriptures initially. He had his conscience. He had whatever was discussed or passed down from a remnant of godly people. But you do not become a king like Josiah without prayer. 
You do not become a woman or man of God without a dynamic prayer life. And at Crossroads, we value prayer. We try to submit each and every one of our decisions in every area of ministry to the Lord in prayer. Now, admittedly, we have a long ways to go. This is something that we aspire to. But what we've said is every community group, every area of ministry from children's through seniors will be committed to prayer in one way, shape, or form. Now, it may look different with each and every group, but we want to be a church that is building a house of prayer for all the nations. That's what Jesus said. Not a house of preaching, not a house of worship through singing, not a house even of community, as important as these things are. A house of prayer for all the nations. Mark 11, verse 17. In order to pray individually, often we have to pray corporately first because we don't like to pray individually. Sunday morning at 8, every Sunday, we have corporate prayer led by Daryl Hung. On Tuesday nights at 6, we have another corporate prayer opportunity that I typically lead. We have prayer at the foot of the cross after both services so that if you need prayer, you can pray with God's people. Our community groups have segments that are devoted to prayer. Ask yourself, how am I praying with God's people? What is the one time a month or a week I know I am together with God's people and I am praying with at least a handful of believers from Crossroads. You, we can't continue in 2022 without knowing how and when we're praying with God's people. Now, admittedly, it's important to pray outside of corporate prayer. We can pray continuously, continuously, every single day. We can pray in the shower. We can pray on our commute. We can pray with our children before bed. We can pray with our spouse as we start our day or as we end our day or both. We can pray while we work out. The goal is that we communicate with God. Just stop and think of all the texts and the social media you and I send and post a day. What if we saw prayer in that vein? What if we said, I'm going to spend time focusing in on just communicating with God? I have no problem communicating with everyone else. But Satan is trying to keep us from prayer, and that's the power source. That was the power source of Josiah's life. Now, I'm not trying to convict, and I'm certainly not trying to condemn I fall short in prayer. But the goal is to take a step today. To take a step and to say, one of Crossroads values is passionate prayer. God, would you help me to be passionate about prayer? Would you light a fire in me so that I will begin to pray, even if it's just 60 seconds today? 
even if it's just five minutes tomorrow. Celebrate the fact that you're praying and ask someone to encourage you in your prayer life and hold you accountable. Passionate prayer matters. It matters at crossroads. It matters to God. Now, in verses 3 through 7, Josiah puts his prayer life and his walk with God to work. He decides to do something that may surprise some of you, and it's rather astonishing, but it's also pretty amazing. For in the eighth year of his reign, Josiah will be 16 by that time, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So it's not that he becomes a believer at this time. He starts aggressively and intentionally seeking God. And in the 12th year, at this time, he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram, the carved images and the molten images. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars that were high above them. He chopped down also the ashram, the carved images and the molten images. He broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. Yeah, baby. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And notice, same verb once again from ver verse 3, and purged. He purged Judah and Jerusalem in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali. In their surrounding ruins, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. A job well done, Josiah. Get busy, my man. Now, I've grown up watching Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I've even seen Xena, the princess warrior. But no one does it like Josiah. He makes all of those types of action heroes appear to be total wimps. He goes ballistic. He takes out all the idolatry in the entire region. Whoa. When does he do it? He prepares at age 16. He completes the task at age 20. Teenagers, college students, this is you. You want to know how to make a difference? You sell out. You say, whatever the idols are in my own personal life and in our church, and in our youth group, and in our college ministry, I'm going to obliterate them. I'm going to start with me, and then I'm going after anything else that would keep God's people from walking with Him. Because what are we doing? Building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. I'm so thankful for Zach and Austin and all that the youth staff is doing with our youth with our college students, thank you. Because here's the reality. These are the best years of your life. This is when you're going to make a difference. What did Solomon say in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. In other words, while you still have teeth and, and hair. 
Don't gamble with your life. Invest your life as a teenager and as a college student and see what God will do. See what he will do in your life in CBC, in your neighborhood, in your school, in the greater community. He will make a difference. And he frequently uses teenagers and college students. He did in Bible times. He does today. Let us not look down on the next generation. The next generation can be the generation that single-handedly changes our church, transforms us from the inside out. In verses 8 through 13, we have a section where Josiah says, after purging all the idolatry in the land, it's high time for the temple to be repaired and restored. King Joash did this 250 years prior. Don't you think it's time for the temple, God's house in the Old Testament, to be repaired and restored? That's what Josiah does. He sends out three workers and ultimately a team who brings about significant change. And in this transformation, he works through Hilkiah, the high priest. Verse 9 talks about that. And we find that Hilkiah ensures that there's all kinds of what's called burden bearers. I love that. Those that are going to repair and restore the temple. And if you drop down to verse 12, these Levites are all who were skillful with musical instruments like our worship team. And what did they do in verse 13? They provide worship through singing for the burden bearers, for the workers in the trenches who are working in the temple. We see all kinds of obstacles. Josiah could have seen obstacles. The people were faithless. The people were rebellious. They didn't want to repair and restore a temple. They were not even, by and large, walking with God. That's why he cleaned house. He went absolutely crazy. And now he has to go about repairing and restoring the temple. What Josiah may have been tempted to think was an obstacle is actually an opportunity that God provided him. And he does the same with us. Whether we're children, teens, or whether we're all the way up to our seasoned saints. Obstacles are opportunities where God gets to use people like you and me in difficult and discouraging days like today. How does he often do it? This text has made it pretty clear. Through worship. The theme of worship started in verse 3. It runs really all the way through verse 13. One of our core values is united worship. We believe that worship is essential to having a healthy church. This morning, our worship director, John Newfeld, led with an amazing song. This is one of my favorite songs, hands down. Lori and I listen to it on Spotify all the time. And when I saw that John was going to lead this song, I thought, 
No way. How is he going to pull that off? Do you think I wanted to be late? I wanted to watch him. I wanted to worship with him and the worship team. And John pulled it off with excellence. And so did our worship team. They minister every week to burden bearers like you and me. You know, <laughs> we're like the hunchback of Notre Dame. We're like broken down. We're coming into church like a gorilla or an ape. And we're just so burdened by this life, by our work, by our friends and family members that what do we need to be lifted up? To be focused vertically on the Lord. That's what United Worship does. But United Worship is not just about worship through singing. It's a lifestyle. It's Monday through Saturday walking with the Lord in individual worship, sometimes community worship, community groups, prayer groups, but then you come to church on Sunday morning and you are worshiping out of the overflow of Monday through Saturday. Some of us don't get much out of Sunday morning because we've invested so little Monday through Saturday. Because we don't worship during the week, we come here and we think, well, it's about my preferences. W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? Are they going to play my song? Are they going to play it the way I want it played? Worship through singing is just a few minutes on Sunday morning. Worship as a lifestyle is an entire week and month of spending time with Jesus, singing, serving, being able to experience the celebration of knowing God intimately and passionately. If you don't feel like your heart is ablaze for worship, if you don't love coming together with an intergenerational body on Sunday mornings and at other times during the week for singing, for celebrating, for serving, pray, Lord, help me to value the unity of the body so much at CBC that I sacrifice my preferences, my desires, and at times even my needs so that someone else might be blessed through my sacrifice. In verses 14 and following, things really begin to take off. In verse 14, in the midst of restoring the temple, the chronicler writes, when they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. The law had been lost for quite some time. Josiah gets to discover the law through Hilkiah and company. He's never seen a copy of the law. And they discover Scripture. Think back to the first time you read God's Word. Think back to the first time you truly understood God's Word. What was that like? I mean, it was incredible. It was exhilarating. This is the most important book. 
ever written in human history. These are the words of life. There's nothing like this. Nothing. And Josiah gets to have a taste of it for the very first time. Look at the response. Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Then Shaphan brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants, they are doing. They have also emptied out the money which was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Later in verse 27, he wept over the reading of the word. Now, this is interesting. There's a huge debate on what was discovered in the temple. Many would say it was the book of Deuteronomy, and there are compelling arguments for that view. But I believe it was the first five books of Moses called the Pentateuch, or at least a large portion of it. Second Kings tells us that this book was read all day. It wasn't just two and a half hours of reading Deuteronomy. It was, listen to this, up to 14 hours of reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What if I started a Bible marathon right now and we went 14 hours through the Pentateuch? There would be no one in the in-person audience or on the virtual audience who would probably stick with me and be fully dialed in. I probably wouldn't be fully able to pull it off myself. And yet God's people did it. And they loved it. And Josiah responded the way he should. The first core value that you will see on our website, in our membership materials, in many of the discussions we have is biblical teaching. Crossroads Bible Church is committed to teaching and preaching this book, not just from this stage, but in every classroom, in every home possible. We have incredible teachers and preachers. There are so many that are so gifted in every age and stage of CBC. And we celebrate them. But we are merely power tools that help you as parents and as grandparents and as disciplers and mentors complete the task of biblical teaching. We just do it a short time. We just do it a matter of minutes in the course of the week. You're doing it throughout the week, day in and day out, you are biblical teachers. Hebrews chapter 5 challenges believers to teach. And these believers had only been in a relationship with Jesus for about five years. The expectation of the author of Hebrews was, if you've been a Christian for about five years, you're teaching. Now, I think from the biblical account, teaching happens really quick after you trust in Jesus. 
But if you've been a Christian for five years, and that's many of us at Crossroads Bible Church, ask yourself, how am I teaching Scripture? Is there one person in my life that I am sharing Scripture with? Scripture that I've benefited from? Scripture that I've studied? We're a Bible church. We're passionate about this book. May we be a people of one book. May we be a people who teach the word faithfully and passionately. In verse 21, Josiah sends out the crew to inquire of the Lord. In other words, to pray, to seek the Lord for the people and for Josiah as their leader. Now that they have the word, passionate prayer comes in again. And Josiah wants a word from the Lord. He wants to hear from God. In verses 22 and following, a female prophetess by the name of Holda steps up. And she no doubt prays, and she shares a prophecy. What's interesting is Jeremiah had been serving in Judah for about five years, and yet it's a woman who God uses. Does God have purposes and plans for women? You bet your life. Unfortunately, Holda shares a word that Josiah really doesn't want to hear, that no one wants to hear. There's going to be a season of renewal and revival because Josiah had been faithful, but it's going to be short-lived because once Josiah passes, the people of God go back to their old ways their spiritual, moral, ethical decay that just continues. But you'll see in verses 26 through 28, some important verses. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. Listen. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes, and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Verse 27 is one that you need to note. Circle number 27. Put a X marks the spot next to verse 27. Twice Josiah humbled himself. It says that he had a soft heart, a tender heart. If we're to be a church that's about biblical teaching, united worship, and passionate prayer, it begins with a soft heart. It begins with a humble heart before God. Verse 28 says, Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Josiah honored the Lord, and the Lord honored Josiah. In verses 29 through 33, we find out that Josiah demonstrated faithfulness, and as a result, God spared his particular generation and his life. Look at verse 31, then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in the book. 
Will we serve God if nothing seems to go our way? Will we serve God if we don't experience personal prosperity, satisfaction, and blessing? Josiah had to work with an unbearable people. But he said, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm ultimately going to do right by God. This passage is simple. We serve God because it's the right thing to do. End of story. We serve God because it's the right thing to do. Not because we're promised to gain anything from it. Yes, Josiah experienced blessing for a short season before he died. But the moment he died, things did not go the way he would have liked. And he had been faithful his entire life. Here's what's sad. There's no guarantee that our country goes the way you want it to go. There's no guarantee that our church is all that you want it to be years from now. There's no guarantee that your children and your grandchildren will walk with God and influence our culture. There are no guarantees. Even in the best of cases, there's discouragement, there's frustration, and there's dire loss because God doesn't promise blessing. He promises that if we serve him, we will be doing the right thing in his sight. And we will be faithful before him. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry right now. Some of you may be hungry because perhaps you didn't have breakfast. Maybe you only had coffee. I get hungry on Sundays, but I know I can't really eat because if I eat too much, I'll fall asleep on my own sermons. So I have to wait till later in the afternoon so that I can eat. What if we decided we would have a great meal on Sunday afternoon and then we thought that meal would last us until the following Sunday? I mean, that's crazy! Some of you are like, Keith, I, I can't even make it one meal. I, I have to have three, four, five, six meals a day. By Tuesday, even if you were strong, your stomach would be eating away at itself. It'd be grumbling and making all kinds of noise because you have to eat and drink continuously. Biblical teaching, united worship, and passionate prayer, they have to be eaten up every single day. They have to be devoured by us because we can't get enough of it as individuals, as families, as community groups, as a church. And our goal is that we would simply build each other up as disciples so that we might bring Jesus to our world and that we might have the foundation of biblical teaching. United worship, passionate prayer, and some more that you're going to hear about this month no matter how things go for us. God has called us to this. We're going to be faithful by his grace. We hope to see some fruitfulness, but even if we don't, hear me well, we're not looking to the left or the right. We're looking 
straight ahead to the face of Jesus to be faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, we will serve you because it's the right thing to do. No ands, its, or buts about it. Children, teens, college students, young adults, and up. We will serve you because it's the right thing to do. Father, we pray today for those who have never trusted in Jesus, that they would see King Josiah is pointing to a greater king, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that it's each and every one of our privilege to place our faith in Jesus, to bring him our sin, and to experience the gift of eternal life through his grace. Help us to do that today, Lord. And for those of us who are still not quite on board with vision and values, for those that are guests who don't quite get this at all, we pray that we would take a step of consideration, that you would soften our hearts, that you would humble us so that we might adopt what we believe Crossroads is called to that is biblical and right before you. May we serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.